I don't even want to do this episode. It makes me so uncomfortable. Well, I'm about to make you more uncomfortable. Oh, God. Because you know why? We have to live up to the name of our podcast. I know. This is this is a difficult one for me. I know, but still, be forewarned. So I'm going to ask you some questions now. Okay. But I'll ask you a few more questions later, and they're actually even harder in oh, some ways. Fun. <laughs> so you ready? Yeah. All right. So this one, just yes or no answers. Okay. All right. Can you name all the bank accounts, credit card accounts, brokerage accounts, and life insurance you and your husband own jointly and individually? All of them? All of them. Not all of them, no. Okay. What are your monthly expenses? In other words, can you list somewhat accurately all of your income, all of your expenses, assets, and liabilities? Yes to the income and expenses... Not sure about all the assets and liabilities. Okay. Can you say with certainty how much you and your husband earn, including base salary, bonuses, deferred compensation, retirement plan, stock options, and restricted stock? Um, yes to the, the salary and bonuses uh, and the, the stocks. Um, but there's probably some I'm missing. Okay. So you're I don't know like, at all. You're like 50%. I'm like. So you failed. I'm semi-informed. <laughs> I'm sorry. I told my husband the other day, I said, I feel like you need to put all your stuff like in a binder or in a file or, or something so that should the worst happen and you not be here, you're indisposed, whatever. I'm not fucked. Yes. Well, you're not alone, okay? You're like a lot of married women who may be able to say, yeah, I pay the bills. But I don't know exactly how many bank accounts we have, and and they can't tell you how many and mm-hmm. what brokerage accounts they have, and that is a big problem. It is. It's a big problem. But okay? I also kind of feel like, for me personally, it's a problem I've kind of helped create because I haven't gone out of my way to really seek this information. Because culturally, societally, women have not been groomed to do that. I will say yes to that. I'll also say, I'm not I, blaming it. No, all I on know that. That, that. I think that's part of it. But I think also for me, some of our biggest marital conflicts have been through finances. So it's not a topic I'm always just joyful to bring up. Right. So there, not only so there's that personal reason. Yeah. Um, we have this aversion to it. There's this natural like uh, turn away from it. Okay. It's like numbers, because, percent signs, right. I can't. Right, yeah. right. So there's this perception that, so we're overwhelmed by it. Yeah. We we have this innate somehow belief that we can't, that it's not fun. We can't, because it's already unfamiliar, you're already deterred because yeah. it's unfamiliar, yeah. right? Well, and I've, I've been forced, though, to kind of step a little bit out of my comfort zone, especially now that I'm a business owner. Um, I'll never forget the first time that I did the sales taxes all by myself. Mm. What a confidence booster, I got to say. Like, I felt good. Well, this is the same thing. Yeah. It, it All it takes is us being willing to dip our toes in and then the foot and then the leg. And then hire and a then hire. Well, that, <laughs> yes, definitely. But, you know, we do need some basics, right? Yeah. And women especially because... Okay, women, we need to have that financial aptitude because women make less than men do. Yeah. 
in the same work. Women make less due to the career choices that pay lower. Mm -hmm. Women take leave to raise children and take care of sick, sick parents. And we live longer. If we're living longer, we definitely should have a clue about how to handle these finances. Yes. Right? And one other deterrent, one other drawback that we have is that we're more risk averse. Mm-hmm. When all of these put together, these factors um, really should make us take on more risk. Because we actually need to invest more aggressively in order to compensate for that lower wage, Mm -hmm. for those those um, gaps of um, of time that we take away from work, right? And the fact that we live and embrace the B word, which is budget. Yes, absolutely. So in two thousand eight. President George W. Bush created the first ever President's Advisory Council on Financial Literacy. And that council defines financial literacy as the ability to use knowledge and skills to manage financial resources effectively for a lifetime of financial well-being. That's a good description, I think. It is. Why doesn't our own government follow that, though? That's the question I have. Well, that's for another podcast. Gosh. Isn't that funny? See, because we can't print money, then we have to actually take this. I mean, at least I'm not $19 trillion in debt. Yes, but, you know. (laughs) But (laughs) since we have nowhere else to go for money, then, you know, we do need to take care of ourselves, right? I digress. So one woman takes it to an even tougher mandate. Carrie Bergbauer, New York money coach, she says, financial literacy means being fluent, able to speak, write, and read on the topic of money. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a tall order, right? It is a tall order. Given, and that, and she goes mm-hmm. on. She says, women feel uneducated, disempowered, and in a complete fog when it comes to their own relationship with money. Typically, when women remain in a money fog before or during marriage, they are afraid of disrupting status quo or seeing the truth about themselves or their partners. Women also fear addressing heavy topics like family history and imbalances such as debt, emotional spending, and under-earning. Many women simply don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. I think money is very tied um, to, you know, we we take it very personally because they're tied to these personal habits and um, they, you know, because money is valued so much in our culture, um, not having it or not you know, just just um, not having enough of it is an right. issue, uh, not being able to take care of ourselves. So I am now moving to that harder quiz that I told you about. So oh the, the American College of Financial Services created this quiz. It's the 2017 Retirement Income Literacy Quiz. I will warn you that only 18% of <laughs> retirement age women were able to pass. All right? Oh, my gosh. But... Only now twice as many men were able to pass, but that's still less than half the men. That's yeah. still right. It's still not very um, much. We're able, right, uh, to pass. Okay, so, um, and I will tell you that out of the 38 questions, I actually failed. Uh, I only got 22 right, but I almost passed because yeah. it was 58%. So I feel a little good about it. I'm only going to ask you five questions. Okay. Okay. So the first one it's multiple choice. 
If you had a well-diversified portfolio of 50% stocks, 50% bonds that was worth $100,000 at retirement, based on historical returns in the United States, the most you can afford to withdraw each year is about how much, plus inflation, okay, each year, to have a 95% chance that your assets will last 30 years. So basically, Mm. how much can you pull out each year so that your assets will last for 30 years? Is it $2,000, $4,000, $6,000, $8,000, or you don't know? I'm going to lowball and say $2,000. Okay. Um, the right answer is B, $4,000. Oh, okay. Yeah. So which totally off. This was in the news a lot, apparently, and people yeah. were surprised that you could only pull out 4000 because if the returns are 7 to 8%, yeah. 7 to 8%, if you pull that money out, it will not last. Right. Um, okay. Second question. Please, uh, please choose the response below that best completes this statement. To maximize the safe withdrawal rate from a portfolio over a 30-year retirement period, it is best to hold what percentage in equities throughout retirement? 0 to 10 percent, 25 to 35 percent, 50 to 60 percent, or 90 to 100 percent, or you don't know? Okay, so this is after you're retired. Uh, yes. Okay. Over a 30-year retirement period. Assuming you live 30 years after you're retired. Correct. Um, man, I'll say 50 to 60%. Right on. Ding, ding, ding. That was right. Yep. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So all of the ones that I gave you, I actually did get right because I thought you would have a better chance of getting right. Okay. So. Uh, a 65-year-old man has an average life expectancy of approximately an additional 10, 15, 20, 25 years, or you don't know. I'm going to go with an additional 10 year because I believe the average life life expectancy is 75. It's 79 now. Oh, it for is? For men. For okay. men. And so it's an extra 15 years. Okay. But you're really close. Okay, true or false, the death benefit from a life insurance policy owned by an individual is tax-free or not? <laughs> Income tax free or not? This is a total guess, but since they like to pretty much suck us dry, I'm going to say um, false. It is true. It is true. It, it is, is tax free. Yes, life oh, insurance. So I can life thank insurance. the government for that. Yes, one. you can. Well, thank you, government. You know, it's these are tough. These are really tough. And again, only 18% of the women passed. Yeah. So I'm interested in whether my sister in law would pass this quiz. And I have a guess that she would. So my sister-in-law, Carolyn Lee, who's single in her mid-40s and took her financial life into her own hands years ago, I think she serves as an inspiration for women who want to start getting savvier about their personal finance. So I spent about 30 minutes to an hour talking with her and picking her brain about why it is that she started to do that because so many of us haven't. I can't wait to hear what she had to say. Well, here we go. Awesome. This is Gritty Girls a place where you can come to process the issues and topics your girlfriends, family, or coworkers may or may not be discussing. However, you're thinking about these issues, so let's dive into them together. Hi everyone, I'm Christina Lee. And I'm Leslie Campbell, and we are the Gritty Girls. Been working on it probably now for about 15 years. 
but just little bits and pieces. Like I learned how to manage my money. I learned how to understand money. I learned how to um, think about real estate. And then I started learning how to think about investing and, you know, just doing that through either my jobs or just my own personal reading. I just have a natural interest in it. I'm kind of like a little personal finance geek. Here's the thing about my talk with my sister-in-law, whom I've known for 15 years. By the end of our conversation, I realized that it doesn't matter whether you're single or married, male or female, working or not, Caroling learned hard lessons we can all use to find more personal freedom. What spurred you to go from, you know, someone else who might just do the basics, who might just you know, rent, uh, you know, a place and stick to a budget and maybe, you know, use their flex spending account. Um, You took it to a different level. I knew right away when I took that first job out of grad school that I did not want to be trapped in my job. And that was the one thing that I guess I think made me want to make sure I was financially independent, whatever that meant to me at the time. Those words weren't around then, so I didn't know what that meant, but I knew that I wanted to have what people sometimes call FU money now, right? Like I wanted to be able to work when I wanted to work, work for who I wanted to work for, and not have to be beholden to you know, a bad situation. I spent 40, 50, 60 hours a week at a job and I didn't want to hate that job because I had to have the paycheck. I didn't ultimately want to depend on anyone for that. My goal was to be, have financial freedom, to have actual personal freedom first. And I think I did that by first addressing that financial thing because that's the easiest thing to do and then understanding that well i needed to make sure my skill set was something that was also marketable so it wasn't just like oh i budgeted and i saved money because i'm actually not the best saver i learned that five years ago i'm actually a much better saver now but i was good at kind of gaming the system a little bit so when I had $35,000 in student loan debt, I realized that there was I was never gonna pay that off on a $40,000 a year salary unless I figured out something different. And I learned that at 13% or whatever that high percentage was, I was going to use credit cards to do that. So what I did was, and I just figured this out, there wasn't a blog or anything at the time, and now I know that people call this credit card hacking, but at the time I thought, well, let me just um, transfer chunks of this money over into a you know 15 or 18 month 0% credit card and pay the 2 3% fee transfer fee and i would still come out ahead because i was paying 11 12 13% i was never going to pay that down so i prioritized my budgets and the way that i spent my money to take care of these debts first um, and then i also worked on figuring out you know, what was going to be the best thing for my career? How could I do something that I would always have a job no matter what? And I have that today. Like I work in software and I people come to me, ask me to recruit me and I don't actually usually have to go and look for a job. And I'm lucky because I've also kept my network live. So there's a lot of different things, but those are just a couple of the things that I realized that I didn't ever want to have to depend on my employer to please pay me, you know, a salary. I hope I have a job next year. Cause there's no, I realized right away there was nothing permanent about that job, even so, if it's a full-time job. So what always struck me is that I think when you get to the core of it is that you didn't hide 
from being responsible for yourself. That's yes. that I think is so key. You know, when I think about you is that you didn't hide from the fact that you're single and that you're taking care of yourself and that you own a house and that no one's going to pay that for you. Um, you, you really, you were very realistic. Um, and that's inspiring, I think, for a lot of women. Did you always have that? And I bring that up because as women, you know, you get taught this tale, you know, you're going to get married and then you're going to do things together, you know, with someone Mm -hmm. to get these things. But, you know, you, you live your life, you optimize your life. I think the only, no, I don't know if I ever thought, oh, well, someone else is going to, I'm going to, somewhere down the line, this will handle itself or somewhere down the line, I'll meet somebody and he's going to take care of the, it never occurred to me ever. You know, I left to go to New York City when I was 17 years old. So I think by doing that, I had always thought I was going to be, it was always going to be dependent on my own um, my own, I guess, my own plans, my own... Resources? Yeah, resources. I, I don't know. So when you have girlfriends and you have a lot of girlfriends, do you see them fall into the trap of not facing... All the time. <laughs> how? What makes you different? Like, what do you find, what do you see in them? What is keeping them from doing what you're doing? I mean, I don't know for sure, but I would guess that, I mean, I think we've sort of been sold a myth, you know, the society, right? And maybe we've been sold this idea that, like, there's a knight in shining armor or there's something coming to rescue you from this existence. And I just have never believed that. Basically, that, you know, you own your own destiny. If you want this thing to happen, you're going to have to make it happen. Um... I think even in marriage. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I see all my married friends and they're, they struggle because I think they are dealing with, I'm just speculating, they're dealing with an idea of what they thought it was going to be. And then they, they are married and they're like, oh, it's not, that's not what I thought it was going to be. And they set aside all these things for them individually that perhaps now are rearing their ugly head because you can't set that aside forever, right? Like you can only do it for a certain amount of time and then you're like, oh gosh, you know, I actually do need to have my own things, my own life, my own money. Um, Even people who are married and coupled off want to feel independence. And I think more than independence, they want to feel agency. And that's what I wanted too. That was my biggest motivator was that I never wanted to be subject to someone being able to say to me, oh, you know, you're fired. Good luck. And I would be completely screwed. And actually that did happen to me. (laughs) I did get fired and I was not screwed because I had already figured out pretty much everything and I knew I could do de- I could um, rely on myself so even though in that very unpleasant moment it actually ended up being one of the best years of my life I remember that so clearly that year when you were fired how you did not buy into what what the story could have been right that somehow he fired you so therefore you identified with being worthless yes And what I really saw that made the difference was that when you got that next job and you got the job after that and the job after that, at no point did you sit on your laurels. At no point did you ever relinquish 
your responsibility for your career and your life. Like you kept um, putting your resume out there. You kept kind of at driving through, I know this is my worth, until you really knew it. What's interesting about that moment was that I did have that like, oh gosh, I am screwed for about 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I picked up the phone and someone rented my house and I collected my unemployment and I figured out some new gig and I said, well, you know what, instead of stressing about this, I'm going to take a month off. And I have money in the bank, and thank God, because I have prepared. Um, and I went and, you know, thought about it for a little while, you know. Um, and since then, that was seven years ago. You can believe that wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. Quadrupled my salary because of that, exactly because of that thing that happened to me. Um, is because I knew, at, and what's interesting is at that moment, I actually thought I wasn't worth anything on the market. I did not know. I actually was very nervous. I had been at that job for five years. I had tried to build that. Bu- I did. I built that business with that guy. It was just me and three other people in the company. I remember thinking, like, part of the reason I had stayed was I was comfortable. It was nice. I worked with my friends. It was all those good things. And I never thought to question, should I be making more money? I just thought, well, I have a good environment and he's a nice guy and all this stuff. This is what I learned is that no one's going to take care of you ultimately, right? Um I mean, that's very existential, but like you are alone. So um, when he did that, I thought, mm, that's never going to happen again. To and me. it hasn't. So my point is, is that I, I tried to set myself up so that I'm not in a position where someone can take advantage of me. I'm not vulnerable financially. I mean, there's, you know, if I have to take a year off tomorrow because of something, I take a year off. And after that, I learned very quickly that I had enormous value in the market. If you describe your value to them in terms of their, what they need, in terms of value, it works every time. Um, but you learn that through doing. interview after interview yes. after interview, yes. countless interviews, yes. that you were willing to take the time and put in the energy to do. Yes. Not There's so many of us who don't like change and who don't want to even face the reality that we should be resilient, we should, you know, be willing to um, not innovate, but just just take adapt, a take a risk, adapt. You know, we just, we want to stay. We want to stay the same. We want to stay with what we have. This is the way I looked at it. I would interview for jobs that I didn't want. Just so I can see, like, can I interview with them? Do they even want to hire me? And then once I started figuring out that actually they do want to hire me, then I would start practicing negotiating. Um, And once I started practicing negotiating, I realized, oh, I've been leaving money on the table all this time. So I think it's just like any scientific experiment, right? You have to try one thing, it fails, you try another thing, it does well. Okay, you do a little bit more of that other thing. I know, I talk to a lot of my girlfriends who say they don't, It's weird. They won't apply for jobs that they don't meet every single bulleted criteria on the job description. Why? Oh, I don't know. Maybe they're looking for somebody else. But every man I've ever known will apply even if they only only qualify for two or three bullet points. They don't care. They just apply. So that's what I do. I just apply. And if they want me, they'll let me know. So it's a confidence issue. I think it's a confidence issue, but I think it's also experimentation. Like you gotta like 
Just be, yes, but I do think it's confidence. Like you, I think women in general don't feel confident in their skill sets. They think that you've got to have a PhD, an MBA, and all these things in order to be considered. Men don't think that. Right. Men also don't hesitate to counter offer, any offer. When I was going through this whole thing, and I, you know, I had friends and mentors too. A friend of mine, Dan, he was... Um, Great. We were both on unemployment at the same time. So we were kind of looking around for jobs. And um, I remember when I got a couple job offers and I was like, Dan, what do I do? He's like, you always counter. I was like, I always counter. I didn't know that. You know, this is like 15 years into my career. I said, oh, no, I've never counter offered before. And he's like, oh, why wouldn't you? I said, well, what if they take the job offer away? That's the first thing all women think. They think that if you counter offer, they're going to take the job away. They're not taking the job away. They'll just give you a different number. <laughs> but women think that that means it's going to be relinquished somehow, taken the, away. Because they're going to be displeasing yes, the other person. Probably. Right, right. And he said, he said, if they're the type of company that's going to take the job offer away because you asked for more money, you do not want to work there anyways. And it, he never, ever does not counter offer. I thought saw some crazy statistic like 85% of men counter offer and negotiate, like 7% of women. See, that's a great tip right there. That's a great tip. Can you give for women some other not life hacks, but financial hacks, financial and work hacks? Savings is imperative. I think automatic savings. People who say they can't save money, I don't believe them. Um Learn to live on less. I think that's the key to being able to not work as much. It depends. I mean, if you really enjoy your work and you want to work, great. But don't you want to have the choice to work? That's what I want. I want to be able to say, yeah, I want to work. So I'll work part-time, but I don't need the money. I want to do it because I want to do it. Um, Or maybe I want to free up my time so I can do the real work, the good work that's out there. Not pushing papers for a Fortune 100 company that's already got the money. Um, savings I think is huge you know I hate to call it being frugal but I think like you know I love my thrift stores you know I don't need to go shop at a fancy store and I don't think I look like a bum like I think I'm dressed pretty nice um, making good decisions about like how you spend money to me the, the worst thing I, I observe in people is unconscious spending and I do it sometimes I'm not perfect but They're definitely, as a pattern, I don't do that. But the easiest way to get around that is to just make your savings automatic. Just make your bank withdraw 50% or whatever it is of, you know, however you want to do it, but just make something automatic and do something, don't do nothing because time is the most important aspect of growing wealth. If you, if you, everybody's probably heard that, right? Like if you put away, if you had put away between 18 and 30, you know, $10,000 a year, you would have way more money than if you had put money away starting at 40 to 60, right? Because time, compounding interest, is where you actually make money. Um, And I I think that money is just one aspect of self-confidence, but it's, for me, has been a huge piece because I know that when it comes right down to it, I can survive on my own, right? Because the money helps. I think it'd be a lot harder if you were banking on your talent or you know because that's an external force to me the the money makes it really easy to just make my own decisions I have more I don't know more agency um so save more make it automatic spend less 
Um, and I think that, I really, really think that you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. And if you're surrounded by people who don't value money the same way as you do, you're going to have a hard time. So you got to find the people who value money the same way you do. It doesn't have to be exactly the same, but that's how it works. Because when I go out to dinner with my girlfriends who, um, you know, we share sort of the same ideas about that, we'll, we'll opt to like make dinner, you know, at home and just hang out together versus going to a $100 dinner. And I can go to a $100 dinner, don't get me wrong. If I want to, I will. But it's not my preference because I've been to $100 dinners and they're about the same. They're not that special. So um, I guess that's it. Those, those, those to me are the three things. And the third one's the hardest because you love your friends, but sometimes you just don't share your money values. Mm -hmm. And it just depends how you want to you know, prioritize that for yourself. I've always thought it really neat, all the little hacks that you do, like, you know, hacking credit cards. And oh, the yeah, airline, travel hacking. Yes, travel hacking, the airline miles. Yeah. I say I did that. I've, I did that the last yeah. two trips, like you oh, suggested. Good. And I saved $1,600 on one trip, and I'm going to save um, another probably two grand coming up. That's amazing. Because we, the four of us flew for free to Portland. So thanks to you. Oh, good. You also do other um, little hacks, like uh, all, all the time. Like, you know, like you think about things such as, oh, I think I'm going to rent my car out, oh, yeah. you know, for people to use. Yeah, I'm thinking about getting an electric bicycle so that I can commute to work. And while my car is sitting idle, there are these... I guess these there are these things I haven't looked into it, but you can like rent your car out to people um, who come into town that instead of renting a car they just want you know just like the Airbnb of cars. Um, yeah, renting out my house was also a hack. House hacking, having a roommate, and that's what I mean. You're plugged into those things because you take the time to find out, and so through all these little ways you save money. You know, you looked at your American Express, you saw how great the warranty is. Oh, yes. And so when something breaks, I so many times I've been envious because you never have to fix something. You never have to rebuy because you'll go here and go, well, I need to use a warranty here. They'll give you a new one. You will take the time where so many people don't. They're unaware of it. They don't make the time and then the money's gone. And it all adds up 20 here, 10 there, 50 there. That adds up to thousands of dollars mm -hmm. a year. Mm -hmm. So, so my last question is, what are your trusted resources for knowledge uh, financially? Um, well, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I try to read blogs, but I don't have as much time to read. So I, I really rely on podcasts. The ones I like the most, um, that I've liked the most are, there's one called Dough Roller. And that's Rob Berger, and he's really great. I like him a lot because he gets into the details of stuff. He's really, really, he'll really unpack something. And um, he's, as far as I can tell, doesn't take advertising. So he's really just a one-man show. He's a retired attorney, um, and he's had this blog on the side. I think he retired early as well, um, and he's great. Um, lately, I've been listening to something called Choose Phi. Phi is the um, acronym that people are using. Well, it's FIRE is the acronym that people are using for Financial Independence Retire Early. And this particular podcast has only been around this year, but it's gotten a huge following um, because I think this idea of being financially independent is becoming more and more popular. Um, I, I'm not really even sure why. I, I mean, I know I work in corporate and it's, it's kind of a, I don't, you know, a lot of people don't like working in corporate and they want to have their own independent lives and do other things. 
Um, so I really like that podcast. They have a great Facebook group that I follow, and they ask amazing questions, and I've gotten really good answers from them too. Um, the one that I think everybody loves the most is Mr. Money Mustache. Um, he's, I mean, I guess people think he's kind of the person who started this whole movement. I think he was able to, don't quote me, I think he was able to uh, retire at like 33, him and his wife, both of them teachers, and he's been retired for 10 some odd years. They don't work. They have two kids and, you know, they do even, they even do things like what they call um, geo arbitrage. They move to a place that is cheap so they can save money. And the place where, I mean, when you don't work, they don't have to go anywhere. So he rides his bike everywhere. I mean, it's just, you know, everything. He's very hardcore, but um, he's someone that a lot of people listen to. And then I have listened to, um, I like her. I just haven't listened to as many as um, Paula Pant. She has a blog called Afford Anything and a podcast. I really like her. And then lately, what I'm interested in is Side Hustle. So there's a couple people who do podcasts. One, the best well-known one is called, um, his name is Chris Gillibo, and he wrote a book called The Art of Nonconformity. He also wrote a book called The $100 Startup, and he's talking about, um, he started this thing called The Side Hustle School. So basically it's about, like, you're going to keep your day job, right? But let's just start something on the side where you maybe make 500 bucks a month, 1000 bucks a month. And some of these people have started these businesses. There's one story he had of this woman who started a candy heart company. You know, the ones you get at Valentine's Day stamped with stuff. Well, she she made it branded, made it a $100,000 a month company from a side hustle. She likes her job so much, she stayed at her job. But it's that's the side of, sort of thing that, like, now I'm thinking, because, you know, I went through my whole phase where I was like, well, let me invest in real estate. It's a huge amount of capital up front. The side hustle is exactly that. It's like a little bit of time, a little bit of energy with a little bit of cash in your pocket on the side so that you can just sort of have a little bit something coming in. And the idea of financial independence really rests on multiple streams of income, not just relying on that one thing. So it just plays into the whole overall independence thing. But um, those are the ones I like a lot. So lastly, what would you say to women? Like what advice? for women when it comes to financial literacy and independence? To me, like I think I said this before, but to me, your financial literacy is a function of your own independence. And that, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you have a boyfriend or whatever it is, and this isn't just for women, I think it's for all people, like you should know what's going on with your money. I mean, we just happen to live in a society where that's super important. Um, and if you know and you have control and understanding about it, you're going to make better decisions overall. You're also not going to be trapped in a situation you don't want to be in. So to me, that freedom is priceless. If you enjoyed the Gritty Girls podcast, please help us by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Just grab your iDevice and inside the podcast app, search for Gritty Girls Podcast. Click on our logo and once there, scroll down to rate and review the show. Finally, hit subscribe. If you don't have an iTunes account, it'll ask you to create one. And for Android listeners, download the free Stitcher radio app and search Gritty Girls Podcast. You do need to listen to an entire show before you'll be allowed to leave a review. 
For all others, you can find us on our website at grittygirlspodcast.com. And please join our gritty conversations by heading to our website where our next show topics are listed. Pick one that resonates with you. Call our chat line and record your thoughts. Quick one or two lines will do, and then you'll have a good chance of being on our show's WDYT segment for What Do You Think? We only have one rule. Enter the conversation with an open mind. Among today's music is Kevin MacLeod's Acid Jazz from the Free Music Archive. Thank you for listening. Until next time, listen to understand, seek out growth, and keep the heart and mind open.